Welcome to Horns Up. I'm Peter. And I'm Animesh. And also welcome to Horns Up, Tom Templar of the UK-based heavy metal act, Green Lung. Hi, Tom. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm very good, guys. Uh, pleasure to be on. And um, I think this is my first, my first interview uh, in India, which is, which is really nice because I've been several times. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's awesome. Uh, but, you know, today we're talking about your upcoming album, Black Harvest. And right off the bat, I must ask you, how does it feel to have new music releasing soon? It's exciting. I mean, obviously, like everyone else in the world, uh, we spent 18 months in lockdown, basically. And um, I guess for us as a sort of younger-ish um, and rising band, uh, lockdown hit us pretty hard because we had a whole whole year two years almost planned of, of festivals and shows and tours um and you know i think we were worried that you know what if you've got a whole buzz around your band it's a very rare thing <laughs> you know we're all we're all musicians who've been playing for years and um this is the first band where that's really happened and uh so we, we you know we spent lockdown recording this album writing it and um you know, in the last in the last few months, we've sort of come out of the cave and started playing shows again. And, and that buzz is still there. I think it's sort of come back. And I think there's a lot of expectation and excitement about the album. And um, for us, it's a sort of big celebratory thing now. It's more than just a second album. It's a sort of fuck you to the pandemic. It's a it's a sort of, um, yeah, sort of coming out and playing music again, playing shows again. Um, and and that, that and that makes it all the more special, really, than just just another album. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, I've been following you guys for a while ever since you all released your EP, and I'm here in India, right? So I kind of noticed that you guys were like on the clock, kind of, you know, how things were back in the 70s and 80s. Every year, <laughs> there's a new release coming out. So I must ask you, did it feel strange not to release anything last year? Yeah, you're right. Like we um. I think I joined the band and three, maybe two, three months later, we cut our first demo. And then that autumn, we released Free the Witch, our first EP. And then I think a year later, we did the album. So we, we have been pretty prolific for a band that's only been going for four years. Um, and it was, yeah, you're right. The first, the first sort of year we hadn't come out with anything. But I suppose what changed that slightly was that we switched labels and reissued Woodland Rights with um, our new label, Svart Records. And that, that was a really nice process because we remastered it and a whole bunch of, of new, new people came to it, I think, um, who'd never really, you know, fucked with us before. So um, it was just really, yeah, it was just a really exciting experience, which, which made it feel like we had released something, even though we hadn't. But um, you're right. I think we, we all have a, a work ethic and we like we like putting stuff out and scott who's the guitarist and me both sort of come from a punk background even though we play heavy rock and um i think that's probably where the sort of trying to do a, an album every couple of years or every year kind of thing comes from um and yeah we've we've already got a few tunes sort of kicking around for the next thing so hopefully fingers crossed you never know what's going to happen but um you know hopefully that sort of keeping an, an album every couple of years thing will we'll, we'll keep on going because that's that's how we like it okay so let's get the elephant out of the room then uh the last year no album how much of that had to do with the pandemic you know 
I really was trying not to write like a pandemic album because I think, you know, it's such an obvious thing for heavy metal bands in a pandemic. It's like the perfect subject. <laughs> uh, it's the kind of theme that heavy metal bands dream about. Like everyone else is terrified, but we're like, you know, we've been thinking about pandemics and plagues uh, for years because we love heavy metal. Um, you know, you, you only have to like pick up a thrash album to sort of <laughs> be fully acquainted with the concept of a pandemic. Um, in truth, I think there's one song, maybe two songs that um, that were sort of written after the after the pandemic. Most of them had been written before it and was being finessed. Um, there's a song called Doomsayer, which is a really sort of heavy stoner rock song that um, our keyboardist John wrote the riff for, which is quite unusual. Um, and that was written quite late. And uh, I think that was the only song where lyrically I kind of want, I didn't want to sort of tackle the moment we were going through. I wanted to do it through sort of folklore and the idea of, you know, a doomsayer in, in the medieval times who would, you know, proclaim doom. But actually this time it's kind of true. But, but actually, you know, that song is kind of touches on the play, plague, I guess, but it also um, touches on climate change and some other sort of big themes. So it's not like we we wanted to just write, here's a, here's a sort of album about our time in the pandemic. And I think, you know, a lot of it's quite escapist. It's about sort of trying to conjure up a world that that is far away from from the current moment. And and it's a sort of, that, that's something I always like to do with Green Lung. It, it, you know, it, it has a sort of world it inhabits. Like when I'm writing songs, I'm thinking of them as like little short stories about that that world um more than i'm thinking okay let's let's try and commentate on on the present world because you know there's a lot of bands that do that and it gets pretty boring <laughs> i don't know about you, you guys but like I, I find it a bit po-faced sometimes you know if you're trying to write this is the one song about the pandemic no fair enough because like you know while you're saying that earlier today while i was on youtube of all places like coming across music, I came across a band and here's it, COVID deck to me. No prizes for <laughs> guessing it was a brutal death metal band. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I hadn't even thought of that. I guess there's a whole, there's a whole new world of medical terminology for Carcass's next album. They must be chuffed. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's way more familiar with lots of obscure medical terms, actually. Maybe death metal bands are getting looking over their shoulder a bit and having to sort of get a bit more obscure. <laughs> yeah, like how, how, how do you top carcass like covidectomy? <laughs> Vaccine metal. That's the next oh big thing. <laughs> Truly gives you a shot in your arms. <laughs> yeah, man. Exactly. Shot in the arm. There's, there's, there's a whole, yeah, there's, a, there's a, probably a COVID metal is a whole thing that, that is about to happen. And it's going to be funny for about four minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, coming back to uh, Black Harvest, right? I mean, I read uh, in one of your earlier interviews, and this is when you released uh, Woodland Rights, where you yeah. described your vision for the album as, and I'm going to quote you, deep and heavy doom, but uplifting that makes you want to party and move your body. I, th I think <laughs> you probably remember that, but... Now that the album is close to release, do you think you've met that vision? That's interesting. It's always funny to have stuff quoted back to you like you've said in the past, uh, because, you know, usually I'm talking a lot of shit and I'll probably listen back to this and think, what was I talking about? But actually, that is kind of true, I think. It's kind of, 
you know it really it's 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 the, the this band is two guys you know it's in terms of like a lot of the creative writing it's me doing the lyrics and the vocal melodies and it's scott writing the the bedrock of most of the songs and the and the solos and the and the riffs and um you know i come from a background which was much more sort of heavy doom my first band was called tomb king and was like properly super cryptic heavy electric wizard worshipy doom you know i wasn't singing i was just sort of screaming hang on and, did, um, i must interrupt you did you also have like robes and things like that i must know <laughs> i wish i don't think we we played like maybe three shows and we were teenagers and we were just awkward weird teenagers we we had a whole idea that we were going to make this sort of like the sort of doom metal equivalent of nile like proper like egyptian tomb metal but we never got around to doing any of it uh, because we broke up <laughs> but but you know so my my um field of reference when we started this was that i wanted to do that doom band and do it properly not not that exact concept but you know i wanted to do a proper doom band and so like uh, you know my references were everything from trouble to bands like witchfinder general the sort of original wave of sabbath worship bands in the 80s um right up to bands like reverend bazaar and electric wizard and so my lyrics were you know influenced by those bands but then scott is scott loves all that stuff too but you know he um he oh he's just me yeah um scott, scott scott loves all of that um stuff too but i think he writes you know melodic hard rock a lot of the time just down tuned to drop c putting like loads of heavy sort of breakdowns and stuff in it the riffs are heavier but you know a lot of the choruses a lot of the melodies come from big uplifting stadium 70s rock you know like everything from you know even people forget that sabbath were you know a huge band who played to millions of people and was seen as like a big pop band at one point and um but scott loves you know everything from queen to to boston or something you know like he's he's way out on that hard rock thing so what you're hearing there in the sort of this is doom but uplifting is kind of two guys one of whom loves doom one of them who loves hard rock sort of meeting in the middle and sort of making this sort of heavy melodic hard rock doom which we which we sort of accidentally sort of landed on but um you know people seem to love it like and i think it's a lot more interesting than just doing a standard hard rock band or a standard doom band um so that's kind of what i guess what i was saying in that interview and i think this album is more that even than woodland rights because i think we've become more comfortable with that and like we see that as what's interesting about green lung i think uh we both aspire to write towards that now whereas maybe we were trying to write in separate directions a bit at the beginning of the band as that makes sense yeah fair enough now you know what's also interesting is when i was reading the press release that came along with the promo copy that we got right it mentioned that this album was recorded over the course of 2 weeks at giant wafer studios which is in the rural mid wales very jealous yep. by the way considering we live in <laughs> a congested bombay but it was also done with your longtime producer wayne adams now that's right as somebody who's heard your previous albums and been following you correct me if i'm wrong all your previous releases were recorded in under a week so compared to that two weeks seems like a luxury right did that yeah 
have an impact on the recording process at all? I think it did. Um, I think, you know, we'd, we'd always, it was, it, was, it was basically, it was never our intention to sort of, um, you know, run in, record a whole album in four days. And it was stressful, you know. Um, when we recorded Woodland Rights, it was sort of very much like, you know, get there at 10 a.m., work until six and then the producer would be like okay i'm done and um with you know with the success of woodland rights and having a proper label which we didn't have when we were recording woodland rights really um we were afforded you know a lot more time to just sort of fully immerse ourselves in the album writing process i think there's a real difference between running into a studio laying down a lot of first takes basically um and then running out uh versus you know being there for two weeks in a place soaking up the atmosphere of that place um being able to sort of experiment and and sort of things happening that you haven't planned you know i think that's a that's a that's always a big difference so in, in terms of yeah it, it was a really different way of making an album but i think what what we didn't want to do was sort of get so you know, have so much time that we ended up making the wrong decisions and and lose actually some of the urgency and the sort of punk attitude. So we did actually do a lot of, you know, a lot of this, what you're hearing on Black Harvest is still a first take or or whatever, but but actually it's it's because we were doing a lot more expansive stuff because Scott was tracking, you know, however many hundreds of harmonized guitar tracks um it's it was still a kind of a rush and it was still um pretty pretty economical in terms of what we were doing you know when you look at hard rock bands in the 70s which is kind of the template for what we do when we're trying to modernize it uh they used to you know deep purple would shack up in a hotel in the south of france and write and write an album over a course of a month um and that's a that's why a lot of those albums sound so fulsome and interesting and have so many like different elements to them and what is why led zeppelin albums sound like a mixture of like a folk band with a hard rock band with a blues band because they're recorded in different places over a long time and um we were trying to capture some of that with the time that we had um and you know if you gave me two months to record an album i'd probably say give me two weeks because i think two weeks is perfect it's enough time to have experimentation and enjoy yourself and immerse yourself but it's also you're not going to end up with a lot of sort of weird proggy noodling and sort of songs that go on forever and half-baked ideas that you came up with in the middle of the night when you're taking some magic mushrooms you know there's there's a sort of perfect limit like when you look at the smashing pumpkins in the 90s you know, being sort of sent to make melancholy and the infinite sadness. And it's just like total mayhem, psychological trauma. Um, all that, you know, the Happy Mondays or the Stone Roses, those 90s bands who just got given by their labels, like, okay, here's like, you know, a couple of million quid. You can record in the Bahamas forever. <laughs> None of those albums are any good. I, I was going yeah. to say, otherwise then you'd end up like the oasis right <laughs> like the brothers yeah. don't even want to yeah. look at each other anymore <laughs> exactly. exactly so so how many of these songs then have been written uh, or have been a product of experimentation as such in the studio versus 
uh, how many of them were fully prepped up and ready to be recorded as soon as you step foot into the studio? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, we're one of these bands who just demo almost identically to what we're going to record in the studio before we go into the studio. We're kind of a bit OCD. We're not like, let's just go in and jam. That's just not our, our vibe because so much of it's about the songwriting. It's actually, which is kind of counter to a lot of doom. A lot of doom is about atmosphere. We're trying to do atmosphere and really crafted songs. So they're very demoed, but what happens is like, for example, on a song like Black Harvest, which is an instrumental, um, we had that worked out where it had an organ intro. And then we found this really weird string instrument, like a Chinese, uh, uh, what would you call it? I don't even know what you'd call it. It was like a maybe four string, not a guitar, lutey type thing. In just in the in the basement of the um of the studio, and we wow. clocked out. It just sounded really weird and like creepy and and almost folky. Um, and we just plucked the notes individually and recorded them of that sort of original organ intro, and then processed it into this really creepy. It sounds like it's almost falling apart. It sounds like something really ancient, and and just sort of yeah, kind of has tons of atmosphere. So it's sort of moments like that where you're go where you're going, okay, we know exactly what we're doing here, but how about trying it in a this different way? Um, there's a couple of moments in the vocals where you know Wayne, our producer, will go, okay, Tom, that bridge just doesn't pop as much as it could. And um, there was an example of that on this album where he was like, I like it, but I don't love it. And I was just sort of singing in the shower the next morning and came up with a melody which fit the lyrics, but sort of worked better and that's what it made it onto the album so that it's not like we're totally like this is it we're we're, we're happy to listen but it's got to you know we're also really happy just to say fuck off if it's a bad suggestion <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it, it, you know i think you've got to keep slightly open-minded and that's where interesting things happen um but we're pretty we're pretty heavy on the demos and sort of working out in the practice room beforehand there's not much room for error <laughs> Alrighty, so cool. So we, we've spoken so much about Black Harvest. Let's play a song from it. Um, pick a song and we'll play it. But first, tell us why you're picking that song. Why don't we start off with um, this? This is a new a new song from the album um, that I absolutely love. It opens up uh, the second side in a, in a way. Um, it's based on. It's probably the most like. Woodland Wrightsy song on the album, I think, in a way, but it feels like even bigger and heavier than that album. It's um, based on a Hammer horror movie called Dracula AD 1972. And some of the lyrics are actually taken from this Black Mass scene, which is pretty much my favorite scene in every, any horror movie, where Johnny Alucard, who is the, the main sort of villain of the, of the movie, is sort of sacrificing a hippie in a joke Black Mass, which suddenly turns out not to be so much of a joke. Um, and it's called Upon the Altar.
just putting this out there now. I'm going to quote you quite a bit because I read quite a few of your interviews. Uh, another one which kind of stuck out a quote that you said was, "I've never really seen us as a stoner rock band." And you know, as somebody who heard the EP and then Woodland Rights, I could kind of see that. But I was mentioning to Anamesh before we started recording, like the moment I heard Black Harvest, I was like, "Hey, what are these guys up to?" And is that is like Black Harvest like a conscious first step to move out of the stereotypical and I'm going to use the air quote stoner rock sound? It's not conscious. No, I think we're we're always just doing what what's fun and 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 what we love and you know trying to write big melodic hard rock doomy songs. But um, I think it was you know with a band name like Green Lung. Like we knew that that was going to help us get on stoner rock shows and stuff, but it was also about you know nature, and it was it had more to it than just being like we smoke a ton of weed. Because like truthfully, like maybe three of us regularly smoke weed. <laughs> There's probably two guys in the band who just do not smoke weed at all. And like, and like there, there and goes there goes half your fan base. Like oh yeah, my yeah, god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't care because it's like you know, and not everyone smokes weed. You know, it, it's. I think doing weed and mushrooms to our band is a really good decision. Um, I'm much more of a hallucinogens guy myself. I think uh, both both the first al- the first EP and and the album, you know, you could argue that they were a stoner rock, and you know that's because they're descended from big hard rock bands like Black Sabbath, which basically every stoner rock band rips off. Um, there's a there's a funny thing like we have one song I think that has a weed reference on it on our first EP that's it and it's a really like small one <laughs> and uh, like it the thing that the band is most themed around is like folk horror and a sense of you know horror in the landscape and in nature and um, you know that that you but there's no such thing as like a folk horror band like really. Um, so we, it's easy to call us Doom or Stoner Rock, and that's fine. Like, if you want to call us a Stoner Rock band, who gives a shit? Like, you can call us what you like. You can call us a bunch of cunts, and I won't be upset. We're just making music. <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, I think it's kind of a useful thing sometimes because it, it's, it's an umbrella where you can go, we're putting on a Stoner Rock festival, and we're going to do, like, Electric Wizard and Weed Eater and Bongzilla and Green Lung and whatever. And actually, loads of those, those bands are, like, they're all over the place. Like stoner rock is a really broad and hazy sort of genre. Um, and if it brings people to heavy rock music, great. Um, it's just that I don't, I don't really want to be singing endless songs about how much I love bongs because uh, I last smoked a bong in probably like 2011. Um, and it was actually a, bo- <laughs> it was actually a bong shaped like Yoda's head, which I think is a real stoner cliche. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I'm more of a joints and mushrooms kind of guy. You're also a punk rock kind of a guy, right? Yeah, man. I love punk. I love loads of like any heavy music put in front of me and I like it. Um, but I, I have a huge soft spot for that. And as someone who wasn't like musically gifted at school or like classically trained or anything, I remember like listening to hardcore uh, when I was like 13, maybe minor threat and just thinking, holy shit, I could, I could be in a band. And like, I think without <laughs> punk, I wouldn't be in a band because like Scott is like a virtuosic guitarist, but I'm just like a chancer who um, picked up a mic one day. And, you know, I think that's punk rock. 
mm. like it's very inspiring now here's here's a hypothesis that i've kind of been working on over the last i don't know how many years now but i've kind of found that fans of punk rock especially like old school punk rock and hardcore as you said minor threat excellent like i think this is the first time we are name dropping minor threat on this podcast but that had to be done sooner yes. than later <laughs> wow yeah. i can't believe it huh? yeah right but uh, yeah so the hypothesis is that fans of punk usually end up wanting to play slower doomier stony stonery <laughs> kind of music <laughs> do you, what do you think about that i mean i think you i think you're into something man like uh, scott used to play in a death metal band and play like death he used to just do like shredding chuck shieldness uh Whoa. solos and he was like a tech death guy um when he was like 17 he was full tech death um when i was 17 the band i was in like i was in bands that played really slow doom and i was in like really sp- speedy hardcore type stuff um but yeah i think you're right like i notice a lot of like like one of my friends jack used to be in an irish hardcore band who toured europe and were like were pretty big in the dublin scene and uh you know now he's wearing like earth t-shirts and it's like okay man like <laughs> it's, it's interesting like i think you're right like everyone gets to the age of 30 and it's just like oh man i'm just so sore <laughs> i'm just gonna I'm just going to go on stage and nod slowly. <laughs> like I was thinking about it right when Anamesh uh, was saying this, you've got guys like the Lorian, right? I mean like fucking Napalm yeah. Death and then he goes on to Cathedral. You've got someone like Greg Anderson. Uh, yeah. This is crazy how like they oh, yeah, Jane Jay Massis who was in super speedy like grindcore bands before he was in Dinosaur Junior. Yeah. you know like i think it's like yeah lee dorian's a really good example yeah. um he's such an interesting guy because uh he's a big inspiration for me lee dorian mainly because he can't really sing and and he loves like <laughs> <laughs> and he and he and he's just punk rock as fuck but he's also like really into like the, he's just like a crate digging record nerd who loves who's like taught me so much about 70s rock just by like following his instagram or like just re- reading the liner notes to cathedral records, you know, uh, ever yeah. since I was really young, that was kind of the band that got me into this music. Totally. Like I remember seeing, seeing cathedral support, uh, carried the filth, um, really early on. Wow. Um, that, that's an my, odd line. That's a yeah. very odd pairing. Yeah. But I remember going and being like, Oh yeah, fucking carried the filth. And then, um, watching cathedral and i was like oh i like that a lot more let's get involved in that and like look here i am still <laughs> at the age of 33 still into doom and like i think that was a really interesting moment for for, for doom because like cathedral went on tour with like him and cradle of filth and like those bands were just paying back like their respects i guess to you know a, a band that had inspired them and taking them on tour with them and like they were kind of a classic band and but but it helped people like me who were like at that point like 14 years old and uh, basically got into heavy music through like jackass cky him cradle of <laughs> filth you know some bands that i probably you know we shouldn't admit to like like being into but like <laughs> seeing cathedral support them it was like shit there's a whole different world and then you end up at like an electric wizard gig or an orange goblin gig and then you just go down the rabbit hole. So yeah, yeah. he's, he's, I think he's like, he doesn't get his due credit actually for, for what he's done for heavy music with Rise Above Records as well. Like Lee Dorian, full, full on legend. 
True, true. Completely agree. And and just to make you feel at ease, we've discussed new metal because that was my gateway into metal. <laughs> so yeah, you're fine. Trust me. <laughs> dude, dude I, I got I got weirdly back into new metal recently. Like there's something like I was at a party and someone put on the first corn record and I was like, this is wow. really sick. And like, and you kind of forget, and we listened to Slipknot's first record when we were recording Black Harvest, and they were like, Yeah, this was actually pretty good. Um, you know, there's a few bands who I probably wouldn't go back and, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I, I know where you're going with that, but, right. uh, c- coming back to black harvest, right. I really love the cover art and I must say this because oh, cool. a lot of times like with current music, right. Because everything is digital and you're streaming and stuff, bands are just kind of, you know, winging it with digital artwork, digital manipulation and all of that. What's cool about the artwork for Black Harvest is it's stained glass. So tell us about that. I mean, what was the kind of brief that you guys had or was there yeah. a brief at all? No, yeah, we always brief. So we work with Richard Wells, who's this amazing artist who I found um, through his work for, for TV, actually. He, he made a film poster for a reissue of The Wicker Man, which I just loved. And... Um, he he doesn't like heavy metal. He like he likes like indie rock. He loves folk horror movies though, and and that's the thing. Like he's an artist that no other metal band uses, but he totally understands where we're coming from lyrically. So um, it just clicked. Like as soon as we did Woodland Rats, we were like, okay, that's the perfect cover. Like you've nailed the band because we didn't really know how to represent ourselves until we saw that. You know, like we we'd used some cool photo- photography and stuff, but I think until Richard did that cover. Um, it just suddenly all clicked and it started, you know, I think art can really uh, help a band. Like Iron Maiden, what would Iron Maiden be without those those jackets, you know? What, what would, um, yeah, there's, there's loads of examples. What would Motorhead be without Snaggletooth, you know? It's that sort of thing. And um, with the stained glass, it was weird. I, I had a totally different concept in my head when we were going into recording, um, which was based around this sort of creepy folk mask that we... Um, we've been using in the promo shots and for the cover for leaders of the blind which which was the original concept for the album art but when we were recording the album we um we, we broke into the local church because it was just left open wow. uh, it was the mid- middle of winter and uh, we recorded some of the vocals at the beginning of the album just there we just improvised them the and one used the, the Harry, church, church right? organ yeah that's that's recorded thank god you guys we, are not a black metal band <laughs> <laughs> i mean I kind of think like if the priest had come in, he probably wouldn't have been too keen um, because I was like singing some chant about Woden, the pagan God. <laughs> but, but, but actually we, I, I remember thinking like looking at the stained glass window, wow, it, wouldn't it be interesting? Like we, we used woodcuts, you know, like in this medieval art form for the for woodland rites. And it'd be cool to, to rather than just do another woodcut, which is the original idea, why not try and appropriate another form of religious art uh, that was from back in the medieval sort of period, which was stained glass, you know, like the ultimate expression of religiousness to without sort of TV and film for a medieval person was seeing the sun shining on an incredible stained glass window and to corrupt that and turn it in on itself. And sort of, uh, there was something sort of um, really satisfying about that from a, uh, and also the album was was so sort of technicolor you know it was really colorful and interesting and sort of had lots of different sounds and 
wasn't just doing one thing and it was like stained glass i don't know for some reason it felt more psychedelic so stained glass has this sort of psychedelic quality to it as well um so when you get the first edition of the album it's actually die cut so the windows are cut into the into the vinyl sleeve and then underneath the booklet is what's showing through so it, look, it sort of works as a real window and i love that stuff you know like yeah we, there's it's a lost art like with vinyl like People, there's, there's, people are coming back to vinyl because it's this tr- true representation of, of the album, you know? It's not just a thumbnail, as you say. It's not just like a little thing you scroll past. And, and every album we make, we want to take people on a journey. You, we want to have a side A and a side B. We think, like, vinyl's the format we're thinking of when we're making this music. We're not thinking about Spotify. And it's great if people listen to us on Spotify, but the, the ultimate experience, if you want to listen to Green Lung, is by buying the vinyl because... That's that's what the albums are crafted around. That format, that's that's what we care about, and we have to have art to match it. You know, you can't just yeah, as you say, have some <laughs> stock image with a that you've taken off Getty Images and like manipulated a bit and put some text on. It's just boring. Well, um, you know, hearing that really kind of emphasizes for me the whole uh, relationship between you know the cover art and the music it takes me back to like flipping through cd racks and going through music and just discovering it through the artwork so i hope hopefully that's what happens for somebody but i have one more question about the artwork and i'm very curious to know so you've got these four figures right other than your main mascot who i'm going to ask you about later also uh who are those four figures supposed to be is that the band and What's the inscription below it? Because I think, because <laughs> I Googled it and I got nothing. So I have to ask that. <laughs> so it's it's pretty simple. It's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's death, famine, um, and plague. And it's, it's, the, it's the Latin inscriptions of what those would have been back in that period. It felt like the name Black Harvest was the album's title for quite a long time before we recorded. But with the pandemic and everything, it took on a new meaning. And uh, I think, yeah, the sort of, that was really where we sort of lent into, you know, because you are marking a time. Like we were holed up in rural Wales during a pandemic. We couldn't leave the recording studio really because it was technically locked down. And you kind of want, you know, for when I look at that album cover, it reminds me of going to that little Welsh church and being in the middle of this mad fucking event. And I think that's another nice thing that comes out of going to a specific place to record an album, because it can't help but be a document of that time in your life and the creative process involved. Um, so yeah, that was, that's that one out of the bag. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so um, getting back to the release of Woodland Rights, I mean, this again stems from an from an interview that we'd read in which Scott had said, and I quote, we do everything ourselves from commissioning art and design to driving ourselves around on tour. Has that changed since you guys uh, got signed on to SWAT records? Um, how much of the, the only, DIY methods still remain? The only thing that's changed is the driving. We've got a guy called Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Who we love. Shout out to Sam Tidman, best driver in the, in the galaxy. And, um, we love that guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, we do everything. I will okay. never, ever, I will never, ever relinquish control of the art. And 
why does that matter why does that matter to you guys why does it need to be diy because, in this day and age because i think this is the age of diy i think small record labels as much as i love some of them are kind of becoming more and more irrelevant because if you're offered a deal where they take all your royalties they want to take um you know put you under an option for three records and they want a piece of your merch and all they're giving you is putting you on spotify like i can anyone can sign up to distro kid for 15 quid and upload something to spotify we did it for our first three albums we're still getting full royalties on all the, on woodland rights because we did that and there's a real weird thing where it's usually impressionable 18 year olds walk into a record company's office and then a record company can go sign away your life and your creative life um we tell you what to do we want this bonus track we want you know and actually no it's it's art it's not a, a thing by committee i don't know why anyone would aspire to that especially for metal or punk like metal and punk is outsider weird art it's supposed to be personal it's not supposed to be uh cooked up by a committee of slightly jaded guys <laughs> um i think also if you're not control of your album art that's one of the most fundamental parts of a record a record isn't just the music on the grooves it's it's the art it's the package it's the name of the band it's the lyrics it's everything and you know a lot of the records that i first when you walk into a record shop and you're 16 and you're like into heavy metal and you see like it's venom's first record with like satan smiling and this insane logo you're like oh shit what the fuck is that you know when you walk into a record and you see king crimson's court the crimson yeah. king and it's like face in writhing pain you go what the fuck there's no text on that what the hell is that <laughs> like um i don't think i don't think record companies um are worth getting into bed with unless they're paying you a fuck ton of money and they're risking that money um or like with spark we have a deal where we share the profits and it and they let us you know publish onto bandcamp they are connoisseurs of vinyl i've never seen a better vinyl presentation than what spark do because they started off as a backlist label and they were taking old classics and making them beautiful and they really care about vinyl um so I, you know any band who is really happy to just like record an album and then have some guy uh take like go okay here's some of the uh, options for your record art it's like why why aren't you doing that why aren't you finding that person you know you know in your head what this music should look like oh you should um so i i i think it maybe that's just me but like it's anathema anathema to me that taking away the those creative parts of the band and giving them to someone else that's that's because they're not in the band <laughs> um maybe that's old fashioned as well and you know probably in the 70s it wasn't the case it, it, you're right it probably comes from punk rock it's like black flag you know raymond pettibon who did all of the art for black flag was greg jin's brother his little brother and and the art is so much a part of black imagine black flag without that art it's it's so integral to the band yep. and i think it's I think people underestimate the power of like posters merch. Uh uh it's not just a bit of extra cash for the band. It's like that's also part of what you're doing creatively. Like I can't allow any merch to go out from Green Lung that doesn't look sick because it's part of the world we've created. I don't want to do like, you know, a parody shirt with like a a goat riding a unicorn or anything because it would suck and it would ruin Green Lung. <laughs> so, um 
yeah, that's kind of how I how I, how I feel about it. So that was a bit of a rant. <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, you know, you kind of segued into my next question, which was about your band mascot, and you you know you talked about <laughs> Eddie and you know Snaggletooth and all. So I have to get a reaction from you, and please correct me because I've read there are about twenty people with your band's mascot tattooed, and I've read it's either the goat or the goat wizard. So correct me on that. And so, what was your reaction when you found out that people are getting it <laughs> tattooed, man? <laughs> I mean, I remember thinking like when Richard did that, um, those little woodcut. I was like, Richard, could you do a woodcut for each song? So it'd be really cool. And he did. I, I put like let the devil in, like a goat rearing up on its hind legs. And he sent me that, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. I should get that tattooed on me. And then maybe like. A few months after Woodland Rights came out, someone someone on Instagram was like, I got Lil Goaty Boy tattooed on me. Um, there's a guy called, I think he's called Jordan. He's a legend. If he's listening, hey, Jordan. Um, and he, I think he was a tattooist and he tattooed it on himself. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's insanity. Because at this point, we're not like, we were still a little band that no one knows about. And I was just like, that's insane. That's like, like, such an amazing thing that like we put this art out into the world and then someone's fucking tattooed it on themselves forever and then the next one happens and you're like okay and then another one and another one and then you go to a show and people are like hey rolling up their sleeve and showing you their like goatee boy tattoo his like there's two characters there's little goatee boy who's just a goat <laughs> and then there's the guy on the front of woodland rights we call goat wizard and he's also on the front of Black Harvest without any flesh on his face. <laughs> um, and I think, like, I quite like the idea of the Goat Wizard guy, um, who's you know a representation of like wild, wild nature and pre-Christian English weirdness. Um, I like him as like our sort of mascot in a way. Um, he's on a couple of T-shirts. He's he's on a parody Motorhead sort of uh, Goat Wizard T-shirt, like. Yeah, I love I love that one. I I want actually want to get that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll make it out to India and play a show. That would be fucking amazing. Because um, yeah, I've been I traveled in Mumbai and Goa and fucking went to Damshala and did a right hippie hippie holiday in like Leh. Like I've have traveled a bit in India and and I had a mate in a band called Metastasis who were from London who played some shows out in India and said it was like the time of their lives. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's the story of that's the story of little little goatee boy and the goat wizard. I'm not sure how they really relate yet, uh, but I don't think I think there's a point in the band where you just stuff goes beyond you. You know, it's not like there's a mythology there that that is the fans are part of it and they feed into it, and that's that's the fun. Like that's like with with Eddie in Iron Maiden, that was just a stupid zombie that was drawn on the first album. They didn't think anything of it, and then it becomes this character. So. It, it always just sort of develops and and gets weirder and weirder and goes beyond you, you know. Okay, so we've reached this point of the interview where I'm going to talk about live gigs, and you know, you performed at recently at the 20th edition of the Bloodstock Festival. Someone kind enough took a video and a bootleg video and put it up on YouTube, and I was watching <laughs> it, and I must say it looked like a lot of fun, right? Just being in there. But be, when I was also reading up, you guys were actually originally booked for it two years ago. 
so mm. how, how did it feel like finally to be performing and you know after two years 18 months almost performing live again yeah it was it was a really amazing thing we we done um we done one live stream uh in that 18 months which felt kind of like a gig to like five people <laughs> but um that was the only time we played live and actually you know j- the last shows we played before lockdown joe who's our current bassist was just filling in for andrew our previous bassist so he'd not really played a gig officially as a member of green lot so and we hadn't played these are the blind repercise we hadn't played those songs live um it was amazing man it was it was it was almost like quite emotional it was like you know you're running on pure adrenaline and it was the biggest show we've ever played uh in terms of the number of people there it was like you know more than a couple of thousand people there and um just you know you you hear people singing along and on mass like that and that's kind of how the songs were meant to be they were meant to be big sing along fucking hooky stadium metal songs and so it it just feels like the almost easier and it sounds weird but it's easier to play to like couple of thousand people when they're singing along than it does to you know a half filled pub of people who don't know the music <laughs> it's weird it was it was it, and bloodstock in general was amazing we went to um see Jesus priest afterwards um and we were off our tits and yeah it felt like it was over in about 15 minutes but they actually played for like two and a half hours <laughs> wow down that's some stamina I know. <laughs> dude, dude, like that guy, he's like 70 and honestly, he was like he painkiller was like fucking note perfect. The guy is an absolute wow. master. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hopefully, hopefully yeah, we get to Are you guys in lockdown in terms of gigs still in Mumbai or Yeah, pretty much. I mean yeah. things are opening up slowly but uh, but yeah no gigs no nothing of that sort at least at the moment I, I think everyone's still rust the metal bands are kind of still rusty also right yeah <laughs> and plus i think like a year and a half in i think everyone's done with live streams they don't want to they don't want to do that anymore either no oh, man i i feel that it, like live streams you know it was cool like one time but actually It's, it, yeah it's not the experience is it like sitting there in your pants drinking a beer and and watching the band on your laptop you might as well just fucking just give up it's just <laughs> like yeah you know, um, slap on headphones and listen to an actual fucking album instead <laughs> yeah but yeah exactly because it's and there's such a a gig is about noise and it hitting you in the chest and about people around you and about having a fun time it like a, a live stream of a gig is just you know a slightly wobbly version of what you can get on the record usually unfortunately all right okay uh, let's change tracks um you've played in oak right and the rest of the band were in dead box radio uh what's the status of the other bands now now that green lung has i'm guessing become the main band of sorts for everyone so yeah i, I wasn't actually you know that was scott um i was sort of in between bands when we started green lung so it's always been my my main thing but um 
Oak carried on without Scott very well for like a couple of years. Uh, weirdly, Scott played bass in Oak, which just is like hilarious to me because he's basically the wow. best lead. He's the best <laughs> lead guitarist. Honestly, he's the best lead guitarist in London, and it's just very funny that he was playing bass. But um, <laughs> he he um they, they they um our mate Richard actually took over on the bass from Scott in Oak, and they played a bunch of shows, played Europe. Um, released a great um, final EP and then called it quits um, over lockdown, sadly. But I'm sure they'll 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 uh, they'll go on to other things. Those guys are great. And um, uh, Deadbox Radio, we actually took John. We took Matt originally was from Deadbox Radio and the bassist Andrew, and then John, who was the organist. So basically, the whole band ended up, except for a guy called Mike, who's also our friend, who's now got a, a, another great band called Boarhead. Um, so those guys are like, you know everyone's still everyone's still going but the, both those bands are now defunct and i guess in the end green lung did become like the main thing and it was hard to sort of when the momentum was there with green lung i think those guys found it hard to fully dedicate themselves to those other projects um but you know i think all of us um all of us like loads of different music and i'm sure that there'll be some green lung side projects at some point um, in the future. I'd be surprised that I wasn't. Excellent. So uh, before we wrap up, I have to ask you, uh, what does the short-term future for Green Lung look like? And what does the long-term future for Green Lung look like? By long-term, let's peg it at, say, three years and short-term, maybe, say, the next six months or so. I think in short-term, we want to we wanna tour this album as much as we can and play, play shows to as many people as we can. You know, we spent such a long time Locked, locked indoors. We wrote what I think is a fucking great album. We're really psyched about it. It seems to be getting a good reaction. You know, second albums are hard and they're really hard when you're in a pandemic and everything's gone mad and you've lost a band member. So to come through that was really great. And like the least last shows have just been very validating in terms of like, yes, this is, this is, you know, exciting. And the band is still sort of taking off. And, um, yeah, like in the next, in, we've got Damnation Festival coming up, which is uh, in Leeds, which is a great festival we've always wanted to play. And I've been many times as a punter. And then early next year, we've got a European tour, which we're about to announce um, very soon. We've got some really big festival dates, including Mystic Festival with um, Mastodon and Opeth, which is which is going to be hype. Um, we've got Sonic Blast Milado in Portugal, which is an you know, electric wizard and some other bands are playing. So there's some really great European festival shows, plus a European tour, plus a second leg of our UK tour. Um, there's some things I can't tell you about, which are coming up, which are super exciting. Um, one of them is like a childhood dream of mine, um, which is a really great show we're playing. Um, and then, yeah, I think probably the next half of there's the second half of next year in the longer term there's a big old gap there at the moment and i want to keep a gap there because that gap is kind of hopefully album three refining and writing time and you know my dream scenario would be that we can we can get something out in 2023 um and who knows but that's that's kind of where i'm at at the moment um i think i think playing these shows Talking to people like you guys, just the, the enthusiasm with the band has just really G'd us all up and it's really creatively got, got me going again. So, um, yeah, m much more to come. <laughs> I Fingers hope. crossed. Let's hope all of that happens. Yeah. Cool. Yep. 
plug time where can people find the band listen to the songs get some merch if they really find themselves really into it sure thing you can you can find us on bandcamp is probably the best place to find us in terms of music um and we have sold out a lot of the the vinyl copies we have but if you can't find any vinyl on bandcamp you can find it on Sfart records website or on amazon or any foul corporate behemoth that you you, you care to to purloin at records from um and you can get merch uh from hello merch um which is our merch company on both both sides of the atlantic and um if you're in india probably it's best to buy it from the usa store um and and really yeah like we're, we're going to be out on the road if you've got the opportunity to come and see us come say hi um and yeah thanks for listening and thanks for your interest in the band and, and for supporting us it's, it's really nice to Nice to hear that we've made it to to India, you know, and hopefully we'll get there physically at some point soon. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, may, maybe who knows, right? A stoner rock festival in India. Fuck yeah, make it happen. Yes, book, stoner book rock us. is big in India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Fly, yeah, yeah, fly us out, man. <laughs> Alrighty. On that note, thank you for joining us, Tom. This was an absolute pleasure. That was a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, yeah, guys. So. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. I mean, keep in touch as always. We're at HonzaPod.com and at Twitter at HonzaPod. I'm on Twitter at Asmo Annie. I'm at Trend Crusher. Keep them horns up. Horns up, guys. <laughs>